This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 508 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. For today's USDF episode, we have Charlotte Trentelman, who is chair of the Historical Committee, and we have a new instructor graduate, Vivian Pillacy, talking about the benefits of getting certified. After that, we will bring you a trainer tip from a listener question. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, so it's nice Phil. to hear your little intro is not from, from Florida anymore, right? <laughs> oh, it's so nice to be home. I'm not going to lie. You know, we enjoy our time in Florida very much, and it was really a fun season. But now to come back to Kentucky, and it's really starting to get green, and the trees are out, and it's really nice. And it's, you know, there's nothing like sleeping in your own bed and having the horses back in their own stalls. So it's really, it's really been nice to be back. It's fun. So... Yeah, Are you I'm feeling excited settled yet? It's only been a couple of days. You know, it, it is a really long trip. <laughs> you were you were very sweet, and and everybody will get the get the laugh. But you know, the last couple of weeks in Florida, it, they're really challenging in a lot of ways because we're trying to get a lot of stuff done. And uh, and you go, it isn't all sunshine and rainbows in it's Florida. Sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, <laughs> and I had to laugh because there's some I hard work that. involved. Yeah, and there's, yep, there's a little stress, working. right, for the horse trainers. And so it was, it was good. It's nice to be back home. And uh, sadly, we had a horse show cancel. We were all excited and, and, and pumped to get ready for this horse show, but unfortunately it canceled. So our month got quite, quite relaxed quickly. So that was nice. <laughs> but I think that's good for everybody. We've all, we've been showing pretty hard and, and looking forward to, to getting back going in May. So yeah, so all good, but everybody traveled great. And uh, it's just, it's a thousand miles. That's a long way to drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, yeah, but it very stressful as far as that goes too. You don't want to leave anything behind. You can't just zip back uh, and get it. Yeah, no. Thankfully, we have a lovely Jenny Longston. Shout out to her where we stay, and she's awesome. So if we forget something, she sort of puts it aside and is really kind about that. But yeah, no, it's true. It's it's once you get going, you know, you every year you learn a little tip on how you're going to do it a little better the next year. So that was all good. So no complaints on that end. But really nice to be home and you know get get ready and and see all my horses here at home and see what people have worked on and uh, what what we're doing you know it's sort of getting back to work up here so that's also yeah. really nice kicking, kicking some butt right I hope so. That is the plan. Yeah, we actually, we're going to do a little pop-up junior clinic, which will be fun. I'm going to do a little scholarship day because I had a, a free day actually from the horse show. So we're going to kind of do that. And it's fun kind of seeing what everybody's goals are for this year. And I would challenge everybody to do that. This is a, a good time, especially if you're getting back to work from the winter. You know, I'm asking everybody every day, like, what's our goal for the summer and what's our goal for the year and resetting everything. So it's all, all good in the hood, if they like to say that for sure. <laughs> and what are we what are we doing for today's show? Yes, yeah, so we have a great about? show, and and actually we are recording on a Thursday evening. So the World Cup is actually starting tomorrow. 
And I think, you know, you can watch it this weekend. I'm not quite sure when the show will go out, maybe over. But all the U.S. team looks like they traveled quite well and and they're over and getting ready. And they're in uh, Sweden, aren't they? Yes, they're in Sweden. And and from the pictures I've seen, it Mm -hmm. still looks like Canada and Sweden right now. So that's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> it looks cold and those horses you know they've been based chilly. in Maybe florida snow left on the ground that kind of oh, thing yeah. so yeah that's, but the horses that's... look like they're in the inside venue they, they probably aren't oh, yeah, going outside yeah, yeah. at so all that's, that's why the yeah. winter season, the, the world cup is indoors right so yeah. because you can't guarantee any nice weather and yeah and the whole anyways. yeah the whole world cup circuit and everywhere except for the u.s is is held indoors and the final is held indoors so hmm. it's a little different environment for those horses yeah. that have to go and yeah. do that yeah, so it'll be really fun to see how they do tomorrow. So good luck to everybody on that. So, yeah, But we do have a, a great, this is the USDF episode for the month. So we're going to highlight the historical committee. We're also going to highlight one of the new USDF certified instructors. They just did their their exam. And it's quite a difficult exam, but I think you'll really enjoy Vivian's story. So we're going to get right into it after this commercial break from USDF with Charlotte Trendleman. And she will tell us about the historical committee. Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. Well, tonight for our USDF episode, we are so excited to have Charlotte Trendleman on the show. She is a S judge, FEI rider and trainer, and chairperson of the USDF Historical Committee. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, can you tell us all about the Historical Committee? I knew this existed, but honestly, I didn't, I didn't know much about it. So I'm excited to share with our listeners today. Okay. The Historical Committee came about because... We really didn't want to forget the people who actually were the base of of USDF, uh, the people who promoted dressage, the people who gave a lot of volunteer time to make our sport great and also get it in the eye of the public. And so we actually started out back in 1996 with the Hall of Fame. Of course, Lowell Boomer was, of course, our first inductee in there. And, and just generally speaking, the Hall of Fame is designed for people and horses that made an outstanding contribution to the growth or development, quality, popularity, and even just the appreciation of dressage in the United States. Then, a little bit after that, we decided to add in another category called lifetime achievement. We thought the Hall of Fame people and horses were like the rock stars that people in the United States that were not necessarily USDF members would even know about or, or see, you know, out in, in shows that they went to. But the Lifetime Achievement Award is actually something that I think is even better than Hall of Fame because it really recognizes long and faithful volunteer service to USDF, not just dressage in the U.S. of A., but specifically to USDF. That person could be a past officer, a member of the executive board, committee chair, uh, a president of the GMO that helped develop some part of dressage from their area. Also, uh, a participating member who helped develop a system. A lot of our lifetime achievement people are 
uh, longtime organizers of shows that developed uh, circuits, also judges. And definitely, you know, they're the backbone of USDF. They're the people that we see at the meetings every year for many, many years. And they come, they vote, they participate. And that's actually one of my favorite uh, things to give out, actually, to be a part of. Absolutely. And and then the third part is the member of distinction. And that one has just come in in the past few years. We got a lot of nominations from people who we really felt did give their life to USDF programs, but they were more centralized to a region or even a state. And so we added in the member of distinction to recognize people that definitely were the backbone of one particular region or or area. Uh, Now, people get confused about how to nominate for this or what they should nominate for. If they have like their favorite teacher, their person in the past that helped them, or they've come to the meetings and they see people who are leaders and they want to make a nomination, they don't really understand how or why. It's very, very simple. All you have to do is find the USDF website, click on awards, go to service, and it'll come up with icon to go ahead for a Hall of Fame, Lifetime Achievement, and Member of Distinction. And you can read all about the different criterias that they have. And in the criterias, they actually suggest different activities that people could have done to be in the Hall of Fame, because not everybody's a judge, not everybody's a manager, not everybody's a past president. But, you know, these are some of the things that you could have been to be in Hall of Fame. Same thing for Lifetime Achievement, same thing for Member of Distinction. You can go through that. And when you look under the criteria, then right at the bottom of that, you can actually fill out a nomination form and send it to USDF right there on the website. So it's so easy to do. We wish more people would think of doing it, would go through that. Absolutely. Yeah, I I just just going to ask if you maybe would highlight a couple of people, or I I know there's horses in the Hall of Fame. So for kind of each category, maybe there's a couple of names that you want to throw there uh, as past winners. Okay. That I have. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yes. Let me find the Hall of Fame first. That is, like I say, that's the nearest and dearest. That's the names that we might recognize. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alilo Four is our last mission initiate to uh, the Hall of Fame. She was in 2017. Let's see, horses. Our first one was gifted way back in 1997. Our last one was Roche in 2016. Since then, we've also had Keen, Graf George, seldom seen, Romer. Romer was inducted mainly on his ability to uh, sire. Uh, yeah, sport that's horses. A yeah, absolutely. Right? And, yeah, yeah he's a fantastic rather style. than be, rather than be, you know, big in the, in the show world, yeah. that was his thing. Okay, Brentina and Ravel have also been in. Uh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the big people that we've had: Ann Gribbins, Charles DeCompe, personal favorite Major Lindgren, and then some people that are a little bit not quite so well known: Lillian Whitmack Roy. Who many people oh, may not no. even know. If you mm-hmm. if you go on, it, uh, go onto the website. It'll give you a list of all these people. You can click on that list, 
and they'll tell you what those people did. Lillian Whitnack Roy was in Pennsylvania. She was originally a Danish lady, and she is actually the first person back in 1955 to put on a recognized dressage show. We didn't even have we didn't even have tests at that time. She hand wrote the tests, and she judged the show herself. And there were people who came from as far away as Canada and Michigan. Uh, and so that you're I, not I find her story just yeah, fascinating, yeah. you know, just really. Yeah, that's very interesting. I yeah. think it's you know, yeah. like a trip down and history. Then, yeah, that's why they call it historical society, obviously. But there's lots of well, yeah. interesting people and <laughs> yeah. horses to kind of to learn about. And that sounds great. Absolutely. Now let's see. Let's find our lifetime achievement people right here on page two. Mm. Let's see. Most recent, Sam Barish, our past president. Yeah. The first one was Lizelle Kanaki, who was, I'm going to say, our second president. She might have been the third. Uh, she was the first one initiated to uh, Lifetime Achievement back in 2002. That's when we started that one. We've also had people in there like Kay Meredith, Marianne Ludwig, uh, Lloyd Lankammer back in 2015. And, you know, a few judges. Lots of different people in there. We don't always give out one of each every year. The committee has dictated that we normally give out three, and we can mix them and match them. Sometimes it's a horse and two people, and the two people might be Lifetime Achievement and Hall of Fame, or maybe two Members of Distinction. Actually, last year, in the Members of Distinction, we decided to in take in, there were four of them, actually, Sue Hughes, Marianne McPhail, Martha McDaniel, and Priscilla Endicott, all people from different areas of the United States who spent years working for us and, and definitely needed to be recognized. And, you know, we had all of these groups, all of these nominations, and we thought, you know, we really couldn't decide between them. And we were pretty sure that at least two of them would come. Uh, and if someone said, we'd rather have a party, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yes. let's go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. We don't always do that. Our first initiate mm-hmm. to on um, a member of distinction was Yana Rumbaugh from Florida mm-hmm. back in just as recent as 2016. That's when we started that one. Fantastic. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on and heading this committee. You know, as you know, I I have been lucky enough throughout the years. My mom was very active in USDF growing up. So all these names, you know, I have seen and and enjoyed, you know, seeing what they did for the organization. And I think that's one of the things people really need to know. You need to go to the meeting. You need to become part of the system to make it better. But these are members that have really made our sport in the United States, and they've done an amazing job. If they, if any of our listeners have any questions, how do they reach you online? Online, I'm rebelridge at AOL.com. Fantastic. And they can send any questions yep. to you, I hope. That would be great. And I really hope that they will go look at the website for us. I really hope that if they have a chance, if they haven't been to the USDF meeting, annual meeting, they should go. It'll, it's an eye-opener. And if you're ever in Kentucky... We have a lovely room, the Roma Foundation room for the Hall of Fame, which is a lot has a lot of interactive things, a lot of research that you can get into and look at. And it's really kind of fascinating. It's, it's a really fun cool. place to go to. It is. Yep. It is. Absolutely. So Great. there's Thank three so- ways. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 
Well, right after this commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products, we're going to come back with one of USCF's newest certified instructors through second level. The sun is just peeking above the tree line as you walk into the barn. You grab your horse's halter off the hook and head out to the field. The dew shimmers in the sun as you walk across the damp grass. You call his name and his head comes up as he walks toward you looking for the apple in your pocket. You take your time grooming, enjoying the peace and quiet in the empty barn. A refreshing breeze greets you as you start down the tree-lined path. Your horse ambles along on a loose rein as you both enjoy a relaxing ride. The feeling you get on an early morning hack is why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by Microphase. Fill the nutritional gaps in your horse's diet. Microphase vitamin and mineral supplement is a low-calorie way to provide your horse with the vitamins and minerals missing from their diet. The horse that matters to you matters to us. Today, we are so excited to highlight USCF or one of USCF's newest certified instructor through second level, Vivian Pillacy. She works full-time for SmartPak, but she's also a trainer. Vivian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. If we are. I met you, and you were you were so kind and lovely when I met you. I met you at your uh, workshop. Uh, you guys were working on um, lunging the rider, which is a really difficult part of the certification. And I just thought you were lovely, and you have such a cool story. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to this point in in your career? Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from Germany, and I moved to the states about five years ago. Before I moved here, I um, had my full-time job at uh, John Deere. I had gone to school for business and a master's in agricultural business, and I was super focused on all the working and traveling. And I always was pretty lucky to be going to a sales barn in Frankfurt and ride a lot of horses and get a lot of riding in that way. But I never had really the opportunity in my years as a college student and then working full-time to have this consistent riding and showing and training one horse up the levels and things like that. So when I then moved to the States five years ago, I told myself I really will take the time to do what I love to do is riding horses and took a little break from working at the office. And um, I started working at a barn and really getting back into riding. I actually took two months of really just focusing on my seat and getting back in riding the horse as well and focusing on myself and not just on the horse. And that's when it started that I started giving lessons. There was another woman working at the barn who was riding another pony at another barn. And she asked me for a couple tips and if I could help her out. And that's how it kind of just started to have people come towards me and ask me if I could help them with their horses. And I really started um, liking doing that. And that's how the whole teaching started. Um, And at the same time, after about a year of living in the States, I started working for SmartPak, which is the absolute dream job to be connecting the horses. And then all I learned in school and in my previous job to really connecting those and doing that day in, day out. And then in the evenings and weekends, I 
can go and um, teach other people and ride my own pony. I love it. I love it. And, you know, so what are some challenges that you have? I mean, that's hard to work a full-time job. You have a wonderful pony that is amazing. You uh, would ride at the bills at our neighbor's all the time in Florida. And I didn't, that didn't know it was you at first. And we just love your pony. And so you ride full time, you have a full time job, you ride and you teach. How do you do all that? That's amazing. I always say I don't watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at, at work, um, there's always the conversation, oh, have you seen that show on Netflix? That just came out. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm the only one who cannot be part of that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I get up at 5.30 a.m. I leave the house at 6. I ride the first horse for myself in the morning before I get to work. And then I work from 9 till 5. I usually try to get to the gym two or three times a week as well and get some strength training and some conditioning training in and um and then usually in the evenings I go give lessons and usually like my whole Saturday is just fully packed with lessons all day and also Sundays so I don't really have a day off I really (laughs) just work seven days a week morning till evening and that's just kind of what I do but everything I do is fun so I like it. That's that's awesome. That's fantastic. So tell us, why did you decide to do this certification program? Okay, so I randomly looked around on the USDF page. I had heard from a friend of mine who lived at, in California at the time that she had done an instructor certification and wasn't really sure what it was. So I looked on the website and logged in, and then I saw that there was a whole bunch of reading material. And I started just clicking on the different PDFs and started reading. And it really reminded me on the medals that I did in Germany. So getting your bronze, silver, gold medal works a little differently in Germany. Um, You have to actually do workshops at home, at your home barn. And then you have two judges come in. So it's actually very similar to how the instructor license workshop works. And then you have two judges come in after having these workshops in dressage, jumping, and theory. And then the judges, you will have the exam. So you ride a dressage test, you jump a course, and then you sit down and have your oral exam for all like riding theory, barn management, and equine health, and things like that. And then you pass or fail, and that's how you get your medal. And so reading up on how the instructor program works, I was like, wow, this is really like how I did my medals back in Germany. And I always really liked really continuing my education. And I also had started doing the L program. So I did the L program part one, which I really like to get the, a better eye and vocabulary when I teach my students to get them ready for shows. But I really wanted to get better at teaching my students because they're really, they're so ambitious. They really want to do well and they're really great learners. So I really wanted to keep up on that. And I really liked all the material that USDF was offering and the books and DVDs they were recommending as reading material. And I thought, wow, if I can do this and can be part of the program and doing workshops and having really the motivation of um, studying also with other people and learning from each other during the workshop, that would be awesome. And then to get on top of all that at the end, an actual official certification from the USDF would be so cool. Mm -hmm. That's how I started looking into that. And then I requested a little bit more information. And so I got like all the pricing and stuff like that. So 
I was like, okay, I have to figure out how to budget for everything because I'm also going to Florida for three months of training and that is not cheap. So I was looking into getting um, a scholarship in my region, so it's Region 8, and they have really good scholarship programs. So I applied for that, which I had applied the year before already once for the L program, but I didn't get it because I was so new, such a new member to the organization. But so I just volunteered all summer at the L&R program up in Saugerties at HITS. And um, so with all my volunteering hours and really being more dedicated to it, they gave me the scholarship for the instructor certification. And it was already like enough money so that I could do both certifications, the training level, first level, and then the second level. So I was like super, super excited about that. Like there was really like a big opportunity for me to further my education that way and get that support from from um, our Region 8 organization. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, because that's yeah. the thing. I mean, it's it's a lot, it, it, to do all of those certifications, it's hard. I think, what did you do, 13 tests or something? Over, Correct. I mean, yeah. it's no joke. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, you must have been really tired. <laughs> I, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. But what are some things that you think it helped as a teacher? I really trained my eye. And I learned how to explain things better. So we were always really challenged when we were in the teaching part. You were telling the rider what to ride. You're explaining something, but then you have to stop yourself and ask yourself, so why is the rider riding? Why are you making the rider do this right now? Don't just tell them to execute, to do something, but really make sure you break up the lesson and this is your warm-up. This is what we have today. And now let's make a plan. How are we going to address A, B, and C that we chose to be working on today? And then really having a conclusion at the end of the lesson and review and reflect with the student and making sure the student really understood what they were writing today and what we were working on. Because I think it can get really quickly into the routine of, you know, just giving one lesson after the other and not really having this moment of let's stop and reflect what we've just done. So I think that is really one of the the really good parts of the program to give us such a good structure on top of all the theory that we are learning. Fantastic. So you have a great tip for us for for just a, for the week. And, and so what are, what are you thinking for your tip? So my really personal biggest takeaway of the workshop is so the workshop um, includes riding teaching and lunging and the lunging is the pure lunging of the horse and then the lunging of the horse and the rider and so for the lunging of the horse I think it is not a very common thing to learn here in this country is um, how much the lunging of the horse can help you in your work with the horse And then on the other hand, also depending on what horses you have and what program you have set up is to have a horse that is so reliable on the lunch line that you can use that to teach your riders to have a better seat. And I really am a strong believer in making sure the students have an independent seat in order to be giving the correct aids. And I feel like I see it more and more um, that it's just easy to sneak your way up the levels in the lower level area like intro training and first level but then as soon as the world hits the second level is when we are requiring um, collection and engagement and a really true correct basics and 
contact in the horse. Um, and that's when the riders get into the difficult area that they really need to have that solid seat in order to be starting to ride up into second, third level and so on. So I'm really, really excited with all the things that I've learned in the lunging of the rider workshop, all the movements that we can apply and really the correct lunging and really correctly approaching and Really, number one is always the safety of the rider and the horse, which I really liked. Um, so having like walking away from the workshop and having this clear plan of setting up lunch lessons with your students and seeing in the riding of your students in their seat, where is the lack, where is the weak point and how am I going to address it? How am I going to make this a strength in my rider? so that my rider can move on into the next double with their horse. I mean, I'd just like to address what you were talking about a little bit earlier is just uh, correct and, and good lunging that a rider can learn to help their training with the horse. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit and, and uh, give as much specifics as you can. Yeah. So, for example, first and foremost is have the right equipment, ideally using a cabazon making your horse familiar with using the cabazon so that you are not pulling in the horse's mouth while you're lunging. So I know we all have great saddles and bridles, but do we have the cabazon lunge line that we feel comfortable with that is long enough, the lunge whip that is long enough so that we don't constantly have to move our point within the circle. So lunging, you don't want to be walking, chasing after your horse. You want to be standing in the circle in the middle and pivoting around your your heel and the horse has to learn to be going on a consistent circle around you so depending on what horse you have you may notice that it's maybe falling in falling out getting faster so that alone the horse learning and going on a correct um whatever you're lunging on 17 18 meter circle is going to help the horse um with straightness straightness and balance um, and just learning that accuracy and then really figuring out what what side reins are going to use to be lunging. Um, so again, back to having the correct equipment. And it might change throughout the career of your horse and what you are able um, to do with it. Are you working on just going straight into contact and connection, making the horse chart forward into it? Or are you already a little bit more advanced with the horse and can you be working on more collection and spiraling in, spiraling out, um, challenging the horse a little bit to find a second level balance on the lunge line. And then strengthening work with using cavalettis, um, putting poles on the ground and um, getting the horse to use it back more. So all those kind of things can be worked on on the lunge line, don't always have to be worked on riding the horse. So there's a lot we can do there. Um, and a lot that we learned in that workshop. No, fantastic. I mean, you, you know, I think that was, that was a thing and just every really lunging properly and learning how is, is a big part of the certification. I think that's the one people get the most nervous about, but, yeah. but a lot of people don't really learn how to lunge properly. So it is a good, good thing to learn. And like you were saying, when it comes to working on your seat, having that lunge horse that can do it well is, is really, uh, there's no better, you can go to the gym and that's all fantastic. There's lots of ways to work mm -hmm. on your seat, but being able to have a horse that, that lunges properly and, and an instructor that can help you lunge properly is, is really critical and essential. That happens a lot more in Germany, doesn't it, than, than the United States, a lot more riding and yeah. lunging. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like when I like me growing up riding before we were allowed to take riding lessons, I was vaulting. So we had to be in the vaulting group and then we had to be standing on the horse's back in the canter with the arms out right and left like an airplane. And when oh we gosh. were able to do that, then we were allowed to go take the riding lesson. And I think I was about seven or eight years old when I started my riding lessons. And before then, I would, I mean, obviously, when I was a little kid, I would go like lead line kind of things with my parents. But that was like the start of the more more serious, okay, I'm going to do this now. And I want to take riding lessons, but before I can do that, I have to have a certain amount of balance on the horse. So that was our prerequisite before we even got Mm -hmm. riding lessons. And then going into riding lessons, the horses are in some sort of triangular rein, side rein, some sort of frame so that the head is down and we don't have to fiddle around with our hands so we can still focus on ourselves. And then later on, when I had my horse in training at the barn, it was a really big like riding club. They're very common in Germany. We had about 150 horses, and our trainer would give us um, Tuesday dressage lesson, Wednesday jumping lesson, Saturday cavalettis, and then um, oftentimes in between we would lunge our horses. So usually Monday was like the lunge day. And if we had any difficulties or he thought that we should be working on more things on the lunge line, then he would set up lunge lesson with us. So we would have a lesson on how to lunge our horses properly and how to work them on the lunge line. And then if we would still have some sort of seat issues, then obviously our horses were all trained well enough to receive seat lessons on the lunge line for ourselves. Fantastic. Well, Vivian, thank you so much for coming on tonight and talking to us about your experience in the certification and also just just about you. You've got a great story and we really can't thank you enough. How can our listeners find you online if they want to come and have a lesson? Finding me online? Yes. Um, I don't know. Call me. (laughs) Oh, call her. Find me on Facebook. I guess that's the easiest. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Vivian, and we look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. The second Horse Lovers Cruise is set for February 3rd, 2020. Most of you are just thawing out from a miserable winter. Think about next year taking a break from all of that in February and joining us on a warm cruise with fellow horse lovers and listeners of the Horse Radio Network. All of the details can be found at horseloverscruise.com. We had a fantastic time on the first one. Listen to what some of your fellow Horse Radio Network fans and cruisers had to say. I was very grateful for all the uh, Horse Radio Network people to be on the cruise with me because I don't like going places by myself. And (laughs) even though I had never met anybody in person, I had interacted with them on Facebook and through the um, auditor Facebook group, the secret one. And (laughs) we already knew each other. So, I mean, there was a time when we would just hang out. We'd see each other walking around the ship. And we just sit down and start chatting about our horses. And it was awesome. Visit horseloverscruise.com to listen to a special show we did describing the whole cruise and all the details you will need with our travel agent, Michelle, from MEI Travel. Go to horseloverscruise.com. 
Well, Phil, for our Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week, we have a great tip, but you're going to tell us about the new stability stirrup leathers that we are in love with. Well, I was just to say, we, we brought all the great points to everybody. I've been, you know, sharing it on Facebook and social media stuff. And so, I you know, I've encountered a few students that, you know, everybody always asked me, well, it used to be about the girth and then it was about the saddle pad. And then now it's about that, like, hey, Phil, you know, I'm thinking about these, these stirrup leathers. You know, do you have a pair? What do you think? And I'm like, well, if you listen to the show, you know that, you know, we're, we're speaking the truth. We're speaking from the heart about these products and we really, really like them. So, you know, that was like two weeks ago, people were all over me. And then now I you know, come back and see the same people again. And Phil, those stirrup leathers are on back order. I couldn't get on. I said, well, you didn't jump on, you didn't jump on it right away. You, you had to ask me whether I, I believe in the product or not. And so now you have to wait. But I think that's a great, it's a great sign <laughs> that people are, are getting these uh, leathers. And I think a lot of everybody who went and ordered them early and got them early are really enjoying them. I think this is a, a great thing to help riders you know, ride better, have more stable lower legs, have less discomfort with, you know, fat leathers under their legs. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is, this is great news for everybody. Yeah. And these really do work. I, i we've talked about it before, but I use them on my, my big horse, Mikey, and he's actually difficult to sit on and they, I really made a difference for me. So I really like them. I actually want to myself get a few more pairs for every saddle (laughs) everybody's getting them yeah yeah i know we may have to use our in with justin but as always you can find them on totalsaddlefit.com and justin at total saddle fit's always a great for answering any questions this week's dressage training tip is brought to you by total saddle fit home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. So, Phil, we actually have a tip. It's like, it's a, it's a, I don't actually know what it is. So, dealer's choice, <laughs> go for it. Well, we got this in from our Facebook page, which we, we love. It's really easy to get the questions on the Facebook page and answer them. So, uh, you know, everybody send them in. You can direct message us. It's really easy. So, here, this is a listener from Australia. Great. Yeah, no, we love love our (laughs) listeners from all over the world. It just makes us so happy. So um, I have something that maybe we can touch on on the show. She has a seven-year-old warm blood gelding competing novice level, which is equivalent to first level, I think, and is training all the lateral work, shoulder in, travair, rhombair, half pass, has started flying changes, not solid. Our question is, how do you go about introducing the double bridle to your horse, and at what point in training do you start to introduce it? So I'm going to throw that right to you first, and then I'll come in with my thoughts. Yeah, okay. So that's a great question. And I always say this is, you know, this is a theoretical discussion versus, you know, an actual discussion. Typically, yeah, we don't have too many specifics. Yeah, we, we don't have too many specifics. Like, yeah, we're going to There's not always steadfast rules, I think. Right. I think that's number one. You know, obviously the horse has to be balanced enough and have the ability for collection. You know, for example, I just transitioned Big Mike to a double. Um, and, uh, it was funny cause I, I actually got his bit fitted last winter in Florida and I was really excited. And typically I put them in their mouths for a couple weeks and don't, you know, just hack them or do light work off the snaffle and don't really touch the curb and, you know, kind of, kind of go in a gentle fashion with it. 
and I've like been waiting and waiting for, uh, and you know, about two months ago, I really felt like he was strong enough. And I actually really felt like the curb rain would help me a little bit, a little bit more pressure in his mouth. He likes to actually, actually not be as connected as I would like in the snaffle. And, you know, we were getting that better and he was much stronger and he was stronger with his back and he was able to push through from behind. So my coach said, hey, I think it's time for double. And I literally like jumped off and ran in and grabbed it because I was so excited. <laughs> I was like, yes, I've been waiting for this. So maybe actually I was, he, he kept me a little bit more conservative than I was going to be with this particular horse. And I will tell you on this horse, it's made a huge difference with him. So typically, you know, I also want to make sure that they are good in the connection. I don't really want to fix a connection issue with the double. And, you know, they're old enough. I also, you know, feel like I have relatively soft hands. That's the biggest thing. I've had some students where we're transitioning the horses and maybe I do the first couple rides just to make sure that it's a good experience. That's the biggest thing. As you put the two bits in their mouth, you want to make sure that it's a good experience. You want to make sure the bridle fits. You want to make sure the bits fit. You know, again, I had the, I actually bit fitted him way early. So I knew cause I had, I had a bit fitter there and I thought, well, I'm going to have this horse in a double. I want to get it in there quickly. So you want to make sure that the bits are fitting properly, that they're the right size, that they're not too strong. Um, so you may have to do a little bit of research with bits and, and we hope in the future soon we'll be helping a little bit with that uh, for you guys. So I think it's, it's one of those things that there's a lot of information or there is starting to be more information about bits. So that's important. So there's a lot of steps, not just, oh, I get to ride them in a double. The, the, the fitting is actually incredibly important. So that's kind of my general rule. You know, I want to be around second level. I want to have a horse that's strong enough to be able to handle the increased collection that will come with the double. Um, I want to make sure there's no mouth problems. I want to make sure the horse's teeth have been done. I want to make sure that the double bridle actually fits and the the bits fit. So those are kind of the first steps that I take. And then I take it fairly easy. And honestly, I have not had too many horses have a terrible transition to a double myself. I, I, I'm going to throw it to you, Phil, but in general, um, when they're ready for it, it shouldn't be a big deal. If it's a, it's a big, massive effort or um, scary thing, then then maybe it's kind of the wrong time to introduce it. Yeah, all good points. <laughs> I also am transitioning two horses this year into their double bridles. So, you know, it's kind of, kind of a, a good time for this topic. Um, I think it's... if. You know, ideally, we would all have a nice schoolmaster, you know, to ride on that would forgive you for being, you know, not always balanced and good, you know, and, and you can learn to ride in the double. But that's not always the situation for all of us. So I think you should definitely be able to ride a competent second level test. Um, I would not tell any rider who can't ride um, all the movements in second level without a double to start introducing the double because it's not the idea is not to fix any problems with it like like yeah. you said the horse has to be ready the rider has to be ready I think that's the more important important mm-hmm. point um, we have to be able to ride lightly and you know to do a test in a second level test and probably even thinking about doing third level movements without having the double to to make it happen for you so um, all that stuff is good. As far as the horses go, I really, I like to feel like they have all that second level work down and that they are, um, a little bit, I try and make them a little bit too strong in the snaffle so that the connection is very, very good that they accept the bit because if it's a horse that hides behind the bit 
or you know doesn't push to the bit correctly, doesn't take the hand correctly, you are going to cause so many problems by putting more bits in their mouth that that yeah. I don't I wouldn't even think about it. Right. I think that's right. that's my number one rule that they I have to be able to feel the power from the hind leg mm-hmm. coming up to my hand and having the horse pull on the bits a little bit so that I know that the horse is comfortable with it. Everything's already really, really good in the in connection and, and in the bridle that when I put the double in, I might be able to control all of that power that I'm creating uh, uh, you know, a little bit softer and a little bit easier. That's sort of my purpose for, for doing it is that I need a little bit more uh, of the double bridle to be able to make a little bit sharper half halts or just a little bit better half halts. It's hard to explain. I mean, I think definitely get an experienced person experienced coach to help you with that transition i you know and to help you figure out which bits to use and all that great stuff you know don't be searching around on your own and looking it's it's a place to get really lost in and it and can be very complicated if you don't know what you're doing so yeah yeah but those are some of the generalizations yeah. and the general rules i go by you know in theory you shouldn't you shouldn't need that you know you shouldn't need the double it's a great tool for refining your aids yeah, right. and it that, should that's enhance, the point, right? Is to make it make the riding quieter, softer, you know, not to, you know, overpower the horse's mouth or you know, these kinds of things. It's 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 tricky. It's complicated. But mm-hmm. I think in Canada, for sure, you can ride all the way Grand Prix, uh, national classes in in the Snapple. US as well. Yeah, US. And as I well. think some of the FEI ch- rules are changing around this as well. So, yeah. If you don't have a real reason to do it, don't do it. I know everybody wants to, you know, look fancy and the horse wants to, you know, I've picked out this beautiful double for my horse and it's going to look great and we're going to, you know, set the world on fire. But you have to have a purpose for it. Otherwise, if your horse is happy and you're happy, then keep going on that snaffle. Yeah, agreed. It's, It's fine. Yeah, it shouldn't. It shouldn't really be a traumatic event. I think it it sounds scarier than it is. But when it's done properly, it's it's not it's not that bad. It shouldn't, yeah. it shouldn't be that bad. Yeah, it should exactly. only really enhance what you're doing. So exactly. we hope that helps. Exactly. Good point. Yeah. Yep. We hope that helps. And as always, we love our Facebook and we love any emails and all the things that we get. So keep them coming. And uh, we look forward to the next one. Well, Phil, as always, we love those emails and Facebook shout outs and we want people to keep them coming. The United States Dressage Federation is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org for more information. That's www.usdf.org, the online destination for dressage. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is probably on Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a show, and don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you next week.